Hey there, everybody. It's Tina Conrad, aka DJ Breast Cancer, and I'm here. Very special guest. She was the first person to reach out to me about mental health, which is the very first episode of season seven. So it is Anne. She is really an open advocate of mental health um, and, and just very honest and transparent about her battles uh, with mental health. She is also a breast cancer survivor and she loves nature. She is always posting beautiful, beautiful pictures of nature. And I love that about her. So um, welcome, Anne. It's so good to have you. Oh, thank you, Tina. I'm really pleased to be here today with you as well. Yes, and we are taping during May, which is Mental Health Awareness Month. I will likely not be release, releasing this until June, but as we all know, mental health is something that is not just one month, it's, it's every day. And I think as much as we can do to raise awareness, normalize like the conversation and just talk about what really happens, um, I think is, is really a, a big deal for, for my listeners, for you know, the people out there just to kind of know that, um, you know, they're not alone. So welcome. Yeah, thank you. No, I agree with what you just said. And, you know, there's a lot of stigma still around mental health and mental illness. And sometimes people I think are kind of afraid to speak up and say they need help. So I think it's a really timely issue, especially being Mental Health Awareness Month. Yes, yes. So thank you. And thank you for being the very first person to oh, sure. slide, in, slide into my DMs <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and say that you want to come out. Um, I always say that everybody um, can speak about themselves the best in terms of introduction. So would love for you to kind of give a little bit about who Anne is. Who is Anne? Well, let's see. I grew up in Olympia, Washington, state capital. Um, I had three siblings. We had a um, nice childhood there. It was a really great place to grow up. I played soccer and spent a lot of time with friends. Went off to college and then I went off to New York City for a year to work. And then I kind of got homesick, so I came back home. I went to Washington State University, which is in the eastern part of Washington State, and then came home. And I worked for several uh, companies that were based in the Seattle area, union-based sportswear, Eddie Bauer, Costco, um, all great companies. So I was fortunate to live in an area that had so much to offer uh, job-wise. Well, and currently I'm not working, as I was just telling Tina, I had a mental health episode last year. And so I filed for disability and so that is kind of where I'm at right now, but I hope that won't be, you know, forever. Yeah, yeah. So would love to, you know, we'll kind of unpack each of those things. Um, I know, you know, we can kind of talk about your mental health journey and in some cases it kind of coincided with your breast cancer journey and in other cases it, it did not coincide with your you know, breast cancer journey. Um, but would love to know a little bit about your breast cancer, you know, diagnosis and, and kind of talking about that journey, um, which happened very, very closely to another trauma in your life, which was mm -hmm. the, the passing of your mom. Um, so I think it was four months after your mom had passed away, you were then diagnosed with, with triple negative breast cancer, which is a lot to take in, you know, for, for any person, um, especially in a short amount of time, such as that. Yeah, I was pretty stunned, actually. I had put off my mammogram for like a month because I was, you know, dealing with the funeral and relatives in town and 
getting back to work. So I had put it off and, the, you know, it's just a standard issue mammogram. I came and went and then they called me back for more images, which had happened before. So I wasn't really thinking much of it. Figured I'd be in and out of there in like 10 minutes. But when I walked in, the technician had on her screen my mammogram and you could see two white dots. I mean, I could see them clear as day and I'm not a radiologist. And I can't remember what I said to her, but what I hope I said was something like, why did you let me leave last time? This does not look okay. So they did more images then they wanted to do an ultrasound. Then they came and talked to me and said, it looks like it could possibly be cancer. Uh, do you wanna do the biopsy since you're here? And I'm like, sure, might as well. And um, so I remember sitting in the dressing room just thinking, oh my gosh, this is really happening. And I just knew once the, once the doctor said, and it, plus I had seen that image, it, did, it just looked off. Um, I just knew that when the doctor called, she was gonna say it was cancer. But yeah, my mom had cancer three times. The first time was breast cancer. Um, and she was never tested. She never had any genetic testing. But I'm thinking she must have had some kind of gene defect because then she had endometrial cancer and then it came back in her brain and lungs. My sisters thankfully were tested and they were fine. Um, but once the doctors saw my family history, they're like, yeah, we're gonna do some genetic <laughs> testing and see what's going on. But it was just really awful timing. I think I was just kind of in a fog, honestly. Yeah. So you kind of go from dealing with one really hard trauma, you know, to kind of another trauma that neither of which you really were like totally prepared. I mean, not that anyone's prepared for, you know, a cancer diagnosis, but you know, it's, it's just really hard um, during all that. And then I, I read in your bio that you, you had a really, really hard time with chemo, like a really hard time with chemo. I mean, we all that have chemo can probably attest to not loving it. I know I it was the worst part for me, but you had a really strong reaction to chemo. If you could maybe describe some of that. Yeah. Well, the pr main problem I had was that I was nauseous all the time and nothing got rid of the nausea. Um, they threw all the drugs at it. I mean, this was in 2013. They gave me a card so I could get medical marijuana. That didn't help. Um, then they were testing me, like I go in for chemo and they'd be like, well, we're just going to do an MRI to make sure you don't have a brain tumor. You know, they'd be, they'd throw in all these different scans, trying to figure out why this nausea wouldn't go away, which in hindsight, if I had known, hold on, um, in hindsight, if I had known, well, you just went through a really hard trauma and then you just found out you have cancer, maybe you should kind of find out kind of what your base baseline is and what might need some help. Um, so I think, I think a lot of it probably could have been helped. And my doctor knew that my mom had just passed away. And my doctor knew this integrative MD in Seattle that would have been really helpful to maybe see before I started my treatment, but that didn't work out that way. So that's why she had told me that in 20 years, she'd never seen anybody have such a hard time I mean, she was really great. She would spend a lot of time with me, you know, during chemo. Um, the second drug that you have weekly, I couldn't remember the name of it. Um, 
probably because it was just Taxol or Taxol? Oh, Taxol. Yeah, uh -huh. that was it. Um, they gave you those Nulasta shots um, after the infusion. And I had the worst bone pain in my legs. It was like, like 10 out of 10. It was just horrible. Hmm. And so I kept going, like, I was like, I want to finish all these infusions. I have the gene defect. I have terrible family history. And um, I just, after like 10, I was like, I can't do it. I can't do it anymore. And so I called the nurse and said, I can't do it. I don't know what is happening. Um, but she was surprised that I'd made it that long. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it's, it's hard. I know that. Um, it, it's, it's just chemo is a cumulative toll. And then you really right. were like cumulatively dealing with a lot as well, you know? So I, I I had a harder time emotionally, definitely with the Taxol. I mean, the, the Adriamycin Cytoxin one was like, made me feel the worst, but just almost like the emotions and the sadness and the, I don't know, cumulative effect of, of Taxol is really, really wearing as well. So yeah, I, I agree. So yeah. And then just over time, chemo is just, it's just tough. You know, it's tough on your body. It's tough on every part of you. So, um, would love to kind of get into, you know, your mental health journey. So, you know, did, did it kind of start before breast cancer? Where does that, you know, where do they kind of maybe intersect or, or not intersect? And then we can kind of start to kind of walk through, you, you know, your mental health path that you're on. Well, the mental health um, started before cancer. It was either 2010 or 2011. I couldn't quite remember when I had my first um, leave of absence from work. Um, so it was 2010 or 2011. And I'd been having a really hard time just, you know, getting to work and I wasn't feeling good. And so I went and saw my primary care doctor who had been prescribing like a low dose antidepressant for probably a few years. I can't really remember. And she was kind of like, you know what? I think you should go see like a psychiatrist, um, which was good because I always read that um, primary care doctors should not really be prescribing antidepressants for folks, you know, kind of long-term um, because they might need something different and it's not their expertise. So that was in December of 2010 or 2011. And she recommended a psychiatrist and then the psychiatrist recommended a counselor. So I'd never had either one of those before. Um, so it was, it felt good. I, I like having a plan, you mm -hmm. know, it felt good to be like, okay, well this helped up to a point, but it's not working now because I'm not feeling good at all. So what's the plan? Okay, go to see the psychiatrist, um, talk to the counselor. Um, the counselor was like, yes, you are depressed. <laughs> She agreed with the primary care doctor's, um, you know, diagnosis. And from there, I ended up, so I took, it was about a, 30 days, I think about a month off from work. It was the first time I'd had to take any kind of leave of absence for work, um, other than for like a surgery or something. And so that was kind of hard too, because I felt a little bit you know, self-conscious about that. Like what are people at work gonna think and who's gonna know what, that kind of a thing. 
but you know, I got over all of that. And so I kind of plugged along um, with the same psychiatrist and the same counselor uh, up until this, up until last year when I had to change doctors, my doctor ended up retiring. Um, and I was a little bit on the fence about her the last few years. And in hindsight, I wish I would have made a change because um, you kind of just have to go with your gut, I think. I felt like there was maybe something else going on that wasn't being addressed or wasn't getting the right medication. Uh, it was frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, so it started before, but I remember um, it was interesting. A lot of women I worked with um, at Costco had had breast cancer before me. So there's a lot of people to talk to. But one of, one of my friends uh, was the first to reach out after my diagnosis. And one thing she said was, you know, you might want to get on like a low dose um, antidepressant, you know, because it was helpful for her. And I said, oh, yeah, I'm already, you know, I'm already on that, been there, done that. But I think in terms of it kind of coinciding with the cancer, I was in such a fog during most of my treatment that I, I don't know if I could say I was like more depressed then or just kind of my usual self. Um, I didn't have any episodes where I felt, you know, overly depressed. I think I was just trying to make it through each day. Yeah. And, you know, going through chemo and then my, my whole treatment plan did not go as planned. So that was another kind of wrench thrown into the whole thing. Yeah, that's tough. I mean, you had such reactions, you weren't sure, like, you know, if you were going to make it through all the things. So it's, it's really difficult. So, um, so yeah, so you obviously started, you know, before breast cancer, probably in hindsight, you know, there were, you know, it, I'm sure that there were things, you know, that made the mental health even tougher with going through breast cancer, whether you were aware or not, you know, it's, it's hard. you like, when you're living just in each and every day, I'm sure it's hard to know if this is, you know, causing something today or, you know, in the future, you're just to your point, you're just kind of living day by day. But I know from your entry form, you speak a lot of, of, of dark days. And, um, it's, it's very easy to see just, just from talking that, you know, we, we all have things that can feel like very dark days, but you definitely had reasons to feel like there were dark days, you know, between breast cancer diagnosis, between your mom passing, you know, very soon. Um, like all of that is, is very tough. So maybe describe what, like some of these dark days look like for you or how you kind of feel when you're going through them. Well, there was, I remember there was one day, it was in 2017, um, around the holidays. The holidays, I have kind of just a hard time because I miss my mom and, you know, I don't get to see my family very much. And so that's always a little bit hard. But um, I mean, I, around that time, I just, I felt like I had kind of hit a wall. Um, I was kind of looking for a job and had kind of a crummy retail job for the holidays that I wasn't really happy about. And I just wasn't really where I wanted to be. And so on those days, I was just like, I don't, I don't care if I'm, if I live or die. Mm -hmm. I wasn't like suicidal. I didn't have a plan or anything like that. But there was this train accident 
on our main freeway on I-5. And I think this was 2017, because I remember hearing this train went off its tracks and it killed somebody in the car below them. And I remember thinking when I saw that on the news, I was like, I wish that would have been me in the car. So I think that was, it was in December. So anytime I see any reference to that accident, I'm always like, oh yeah, that's where I was that day. But um, just feeling like, like you just can't move forward, I would say when you feel like you're having a dark day, like everything is bad. You know, there's nothing hopeful. Uh, don't have any joy really in your life. But that was a particularly hard time and because I'd never thought anything like that really before. Um, and then post-cancer also uh, last year after I had been hospitalized for a manic episode, uh, I came home from the hospital and after about a month at home, I felt literally felt suicidal. I was like, how can I, what do I have here that I can do this with? And, um, and that kind of scared me that I was having those kind of thoughts. So I called 911 on myself. And I remember the officer who was one that had come by, she'd come by to check on me during the midst of this manic episode. And she said, you know, it's really it takes a lot of courage to ask for help. And I was kind of, she said, you're very brave. And I remember telling her, I don't really feel very brave, but she said, a lot of people don't ask for help. Yeah. You know, we're here to help. So that was kind of a good lesson to me. And it was something I would want the viewers to know is to just never be afraid to ask for help, mm -hmm. whether it's you're having a hard time with chemo or you're having a hard time and you're feeling depressed and don't know what to do. There's always resources and people you can ask for help. Um, so I'm just thankful that I called 911 on myself. But at that point, I just, I just didn't care. I don't think I would have actually hurt myself, but I just... I just didn't want to be here. So those are the two kind of darkest days I can think of. Yeah. I, I was, I recalled recently and it was, I had a really tough time at work and a very difficult person I was dealing with. And I was on my way to my oncologist appointment. And I recall like I, I was on an overpass and I just remember thinking like, it would just be so easy if I just went off this overpass. And like, to your point, that kind of feeling of, I just don't care. I don't care about the people that love me. I don't care about like, that this does not make sense. I don't care about all my hopes and dreams that I like thought I had. Like to your point, you're just in this kind of state of this would just be easier and I don't care. So like, I, I, I can relate and, you know, I, the dark days are very dark and I, I totally get in and, and I pride myself on being a positive and optimistic person, but I always want people to know too, that there's still hardship in, in our lives, you know, like, and I think it is, it's difficult. It's, it's difficult to get through a diagnosis. It's get, difficult to get through a trauma of a person. And it's, it's not just like some easy decision. Some it's like, it's different for every person, how, how you're dealing with mental health. Like it's, it's very, 
a hard subject to talk about. And I think it's something too that, to your point, you talked very early on about the stigma of it. I think we need to have more conversations. I think we need to know that it is brave to ask for help. I think we need to like feel okay to talk about, you know, when we're not feeling good. And I think that these are all very good things for people listening. And I encourage people, you know, whether they want to reach out to you, whether they want to reach out to someone locally, a doctor, a, you know, anyone just reach out is like the main thing and, and ask for help. I think it's so important. There's one organization too, that's kind of the, the number one that I always hear about for resources. It's called NAMI, N-A-M-I. And I believe it stands for National Alliance for Mental Illness. And I haven't spent too much time on their website, but I heard about it several years ago. And I think they have support groups and all kinds of resources. Um, so that might be something good for your listeners to check out if they might yeah. be interested. In. Yeah, for sure. I'll check it out and I'll, you know, do the links in the show notes and, and add it, you know, as well to, to my episode. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I was not as familiar until we kind of started recording and talking, um, like even kind of what a manic, you know, situation is like, are you willing to kind of share what that is or what that looked like for you? Cause oh, it sure. was, it was quite, you know, quite a situation and you're still kind of dealing with, I, I don't know if fallout's the right word, but like, you're still kind of learning how to process that and how to kind of move forward in, in today's world from that situation. Yeah, no, I'm happy to discuss it. I think it's more common that people realize, but um, with the stigma again, people don't like to talk about it, but I'm, I've never been someone to been like, oh gosh, I'm not gonna say anything. I'd rather somebody know what mm -hmm. happened to me than learn it somewhere else or, or secondhand. But um, what happened to me last year in, it's kind of started in March, um, for about two months, I had a manic episode. And if you look up mania, it includes things like delusions, um, seeing things, hearing things that aren't there. And I live by myself. And so I started like throwing stuff out my door. I was uh, looking for this. I thought I was being filmed for a documentary. And so I kept wandering around my neighborhood at all hours looking for this film crew and my neighbors and, you know, the local businesses all knew me like the grocery stores because I'd lived in the same area for 20 years and I knew something was off. And so they called, the police were called nine times for me. Um, but with mania, you're literally like out of your mind. Um, I remember talking to people, it's kind of like, almost being in a dream state, because some of it I remember, some of it I have no memory of. And, you know, the police would come and check on me and I would say, well, you know, I'm fine and shut the door. But since I live by myself and the police couldn't really do anything because I wasn't a danger to myself or someone else, it went on for like two months. You know, I was texting people all the time. I was in the grocery store for hours. Um, you know, just wandering around pretty much every business in my neighborhood. And then finally, I agreed to get in the back of an ambulance. And I remember, you know, the police, it's hard for them because they can't really do too much. But they were really trying to help me for like the last two weeks. I was really just coming unhinged. 
and he must have asked the officer if I would get, if I would get into an ambulance. And my thinking at the time was, well, I don't really have any food at home, so there's nothing really there for me. So I might as well get in this ambulance. Hmm. And so that was the first um, step. So I get to this hospital, and I don't remember the first few days I'm there. Um, they had somebody following me 24 seven, like literally they had to sit in my room and watch me sleep because I was going into people's rooms and like going through their stuff, which I have zero memory of at all. And so I don't know how many days that went on, but finally I was like, why do you have to follow me all the time? They're like, well, you're doing all these things. So I was there for two weeks and, but they never said the word manic episode. They would, the doctor would just say, well, you're just trying to get into other people's stuff. So when I was released and got home, I really didn't know what happened. You know, I walked into my condominium and looked like a bomb went off because I had been so busy throwing all this stuff out. I like broke the screens in my windows and, you know, there was just stuff everywhere. So it was really, really challenging to come home and be like, where do I even begin? Because I threw out my phone, didn't have my phone. Thank God I didn't throw out my computer. I had thrown away a bunch of clothes, shoes, my glasses, just a bunch of random stuff. Because I kept thinking in my mind that, you know, I'm not going to need that stuff for where I'm going. Because I kept thinking I was going somewhere. And I mean, someday maybe I could write a book about it because there were so many, so many um, different scenarios going through my mind. Um, It was just really, it was, in hindsight, it's fascinating. But at the time, um, I'm just lucky I didn't hurt myself or somebody else. Because I remember I was crossing the street one time, the cars were going by. And I'm thinking in my mind, well, these cars are just, um, they're like prop cars. They're like part of the documentary. So if I walked in front of one of them, they would stop. And I remember sitting there thinking, should I try that? And luckily the thought went out of my mind because otherwise, you know, I'd be dead. Wow. So it's so, um, it is just kind of like being in a, being in a a dream, like you can remember doing this or that, you know, at the grocery store, I remember different scenarios and different situations, but some of it I don't. And I kind of felt like when I got to the hospital, like my brain had just been like short circuited, Hmm. which I think it's kind of what happens. But what I didn't understand, because I'm 56 now, So I was 55 at the time. And one of the doctors I saw last year said it was extremely rare for someone my age to have their first manic episode. Now, when you have a manic episode, that means you have bipolar disorder, which I had never been diagnosed with all those years that I saw the same psychiatrist for ups and downs. It was never discussed. So like you said, the term fallout, that's exactly true, Tina, because it's been a lot of um, fallout just trying to get my life back on track. I had to 
in the midst of all this, I had to sell my home, find a place to live. Um, when I was not doing well, it, and the doctors, you know, after the manic episode, didn't really have me on the right medications. So for several months, about eight months altogether, I just didn't feel good. And that's when I had the really dark day where I just didn't care. So took finally talking to a different doctor. Um, I mean, my doctor understood that I had bipolar, but what she was recommending for me was not working. Seeing a new doctor and a new medication that made all the difference. But it's been, it's been exactly a year now since I got home from the hospital the first time. And I'm just so grateful where I am now compared to walking into my home, not really knowing what to expect. And then to have to kind of piece by piece, like, oh, that happened, oh, that happened, you know, and try to understand the bipolar diagnosis, which I'm still getting used to with the medications, but I just wish I would have maybe talked to a different doctor back in the day. Yeah. And, and maybe that wouldn't have happened. I mean, it seemed like it's a pretty extreme scenario with my, my episode. And I, I think we, some people can have shorter ones that aren't as extreme. I know we were chatting a bit before we hit record, but just, you know, kind of being that advocate for yourself. And sometimes it's hard when you don't know that you need to be that advocate for yourself, but finding the right provider can be everything, you know, like having that person who, you know, can, can help you navigate through those hard times. Like it's, it, it is really, really, really challenging. And it, it's just like, so scary. I am sure for you to come back to your house and try to piece this puzzle back together. And you just have a few of the pieces and you're there. It's like, someone's giving you a few pieces every day, you know, and like, yeah. you're trying to kind of figure it out. I, I can't even imagine like that's so impactful, like your story. Um, it's just, I, I, I know you've been very open to on, on like finding the medication and finding the right kind of medication and totally understanding. I think that, you know, different people, different, you know, types of mental illness will require, you know, and everyone's personal biology is so different too. And so sometimes it just takes kind of this trial and error method to find the right kind of combination and, and medication that can work for you. Um, and I think that you're, you, you, luckily you've been kind of in a better place, but it still kind of needs some fine tuning on times. And I think that that's even a good observation for people listening to that, you know, if you've even been diagnosed and things aren't going so well, understand that having that conversation with your doctor can potentially lead to different opportunities or different, you know, combinations that can maybe, you know, change the way you feel too. Yeah, because my, the psychiatrist I had seen for like 10 years retired at the end of the year. And like every time I saw her, uh, you know, after that manic episode, I would tell her, I don't feel good. I don't care about anything. This is not good. And she'd make a tweak, you know, of the medication, this or that. Um, and then at my last appointment with her, she was like, you know, you should be on XYZ medication. And, but she wasn't going to start me on it because she was, it was my last appointment. And it was a medication that they had mentioned um, the second time I was in the hospital last year. 
And when I finally got a new doctor, when I finally got it, got it together on my to-do list to, to do that, I kind of told her my whole story and she's like, oh yeah, you need to be on this particular medication. And I was like, hallelujah, you know, somebody giving me, I guess the medication that I need. But the thing with bipolar disorder is you can feel really good for like a few weeks. And then I've had weeks where I just feel kind of out of sorts. And so I've been in contact with my new doctor. Like you said, it's need to, you know, reach out. And I'm like, is this normal? I, I don't want to be like feeling good for three weeks and off for one week. So we're making some tweaks on another medication I'm taking, but it's, it's a science getting it down, you know, to the right medication, the right dose and everyone, like you said, is so different. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was really frustrated last year because I just, no matter what we tried, nothing was helping. Yeah. It was horrible. Yeah. So the first thing is don't wait. You know, it was about a week that I wasn't feeling good. And then I got a hold of my new doctor. So I don't, I don't like to sit around and wait if things aren't working, but I was in such a bad state of mind last year. I just didn't have the energy to like find a new doctor. And yeah, but I think even the questions you're asking now are like, there's such good questions. Like I felt good for three weeks and now I'm not, is this how it's always going to be? What can we do? Like they're much more they're very concrete, you know what I mean? And I think as a doctor, like they would have to kind of, you know, acknowledge that. And then hopefully, you know, like they are now giving you something to hopefully, you know, fine tune it and tweak it and make it, you know, the best, the best and version that they can, you know? (laughs) So I know it's really tough. Um, I know you put also too in your entry form, you know, just one day at a time. And that's kind of been a motto that stuck with me through my breast cancer, um, you know, is just kind of taking it one day at a time. It's kind of Mm -hmm. what we have to do in these COVID times too. But I think especially too, as a, you know, mental health, you know, survivor, as a breast cancer survivor, as a COVID survivor, you know, all of these things are kind of very important. So maybe describe to me what taking one day at a time means to you. Yeah, it's one of those things that you hear, you know, thrown about all the time and like, oh, yeah, that sounds that sounds great. Does it really work? Um, But last year, I think I probably thought that way a little bit going through chemo because it really was horrible every day. I would just try and just get through the day and get through the day. But last year when I came home from the hospital, I just was not not feeling good you know, I wasn't eating, I couldn't really sleep very well, like nothing was working right. And, and I just thought, okay, I just have to get through this one, this one night, um, get through to the morning. But then the morning would come and I'd be like, oh, but it's another day. And I'd be kind of down about that. And I'd be like, okay, well, I just have to get through the day. But there was a couple of times where it was literally hour by hour. Like when I was having a really hard time in September and I knew I had an appointment with my psychiatrist and I was like, I just have to make it till that appointment, you know, which wasn't helpful at all in hindsight. But um, I think it's, it helps to have a little bit of structure 
or put some structure around a time frame when you're when you're just when the whole near future, your whole near future is up in the air or kind of unknown. Like going through cancer treatment, you don't really know when you start what's going to happen or what side effects you might have. Um, so it's kind of a lot of unknown out there. But if you can put some structure around it and just say, you know, I'm just going to get through this one day. I have this, okay, I have this chemo infusion today. We'll get through the day and then worry about tomorrow. Yeah. That kind of thing. No, I think that that's really important. Like just small little goals. Same yeah. for COVID, you know, we can't think too far ahead. We don't know what we, <laughs> we don't know what we're going to do next month, you know? So it's like, we do kind of have to live a little bit more in the now and, and kind of, you know, deal with that one day as it comes. So I think that that's really helpful just in general. So speaking of helpful and tips, I mean, I think you've given so many things throughout this whole, this whole talk about advice and what you would do and seeking the help and, you know, having providers that, you know, you feel support you, but what's kind of, you know, the, the, I always ask everybody a Tina tip. And so it can be a tip, you know, about cancer. It can be about mental health. It can be about surviving a trauma, you know, any kind of thing that you want to talk about, but what's something that you feel you want the listeners to really you know, know and understand in terms of your Tina tip and your advice today? Um, I would say for my Tina tip to not be afraid to ask for help, no matter what the situation may be. Um, you know, I was talking about how I called 911 on myself and the police officer, you know, said I was brave, which I wasn't really paying attention at the time to too much about that. Um, but she said a lot of people don't, you know, and when you kind of scare yourself or, or you're feeling unsure or not feeling well, there's always resources, you know, to reach out to um, like the NAMI organization. There's a lot of, a lot of groups on Instagram that have pages that are run by people that have mental illness. Um, you know, talk to your primary care, get a referral if you need one to a psychiatrist um, for mental health. But I think just in general, don't be afraid to speak up um, because I'm kind of kicking myself that I didn't speak up sooner last year and you know get a different doctor, but I was just not in the right headspace to do that, even though I knew my doctor was retiring. Yeah. Um, so I would say don't be afraid and then to know what your resources are. I love that. I think that that's so important. Um, you know, I, I had a cousin who, I think I was 18 at the time. Well, maybe, yeah, I think I was 18 um, that committed suicide when he was 13. And it was, oh you know, gosh. it's really, really difficult. And I think I wonder a lot, you know, I didn't live really nearby. This cousin um, didn't know like he needed help, you know what I mean? But I think there, there's so much that and I've just met obviously countless people who have been impacted, you know, by, by mental illness in some way, shape or form. And I think it is so important um, if you have that little voice inside of you telling you to get help, to listen to it, you know, and, and it's um, to, your, to your point, like how brave were you to, to dial 911? And honestly, for this, you know, police person to, to share this message with you at a time when you probably really needed it to almost turn that script from you to feel like it was, 
really needing help to understanding that you were very, very brave in that moment and courageous in that moment and to make it make you see it from a different way, I think is really empowering too. And to understand that what you did is powerful and courageous and brave. And now sharing your story with more and more people is courageous and brave. And I think that that's, you know, what I want people to understand on this podcast is listen to that little voice, ask for help, you know, whoever you need to help, whoever is a phone call or a, you know, walk in, visit away, like go get that help. It's just really ever so important. So I really do want to thank you, Anne, for, for being here, for being brave and for sharing your story. Very first one on mental health. So I, I just really thank you for, for kicking it off and, and sharing your story with everyone. Yeah, well, thank you. It was great to be here. And I just kind of feel like it's my duty, I guess, to share my story with others because, um, you know, to help with the stigma and to help others know that they're not alone and to know that it's okay to ask for help. So I'm really, I'm just, I think it's really great. You're devoting a whole season of your podcast to mental health because it will be really helpful for so many people. Yes. And I've done some research, obviously research is not my background, but um, I, there are so many people obviously facing mental illness, but then you throw a cancer diagnosis on it and there are more people facing, you know, mental illness. So it definitely does impact people and how they're living. Um, Cancer is really tough. And so I, I just want people to understand that it's a lot for a person to process when you have a cancer diagnosis. And I do think that, you know, whether you came in with mental health or whether, you know, you did not experience any mental health issues, either one, um, it, it, cancer diagnosis can definitely change and shape and impact your mental health in a different way than you, than you knew before. And so I, I do want people just to even have that conversation with their doctor, um, with um, people that they're meeting in support groups and online, Um, Just understanding that community really can help people when you're sharing and talking about it and asking those questions if you're feeling, feeling dark. I think it's important for people to understand you can be in a dark place, that's normal, but when you're staying in that dark place and when you're thinking scary thoughts or, you know, to that point that you're saying that you just don't care, I think those are all wake up calls to have more conversations. So Thank you, Anne. If, if people want to know more, if they want to reach out to you, if they want to like kind of ask you some you know, questions, where can people find you on social media? On Instagram, uh, my handle is luckygirlbyann underscore two. It used to just be luckygirlbyann, but I got locked out of my account during my manic episode. So I started a new one. Uh, and I used to have a Facebook page, but I'm locked out of that as well. So for now, um, just Instagram, but if people have any questions, they can feel free to message me and, you know, I'm happy to provide any, you know, resource ideas or, you know, experience that might be helpful. Well, I truly appreciate it. And I'll be sure to, to link to you so people can find you and, and find that. So thank you again, Anne, so much. It's been such a pleasure and we will be in touch soon. All right. Thank you, Tina. Thank you.